Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to the Evidence-Based Therapist. Bridger and Caleb here. Uh, where oh we read yep so you don't have to oh, yeah, I didn't even finish the title oh that's okay because it's like a, we're here it, you were giving an introduction into who's the we of this sentence yeah I love where the we yeah where we read so but I gave you, you the we first well yeah 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 I saw it as another parenthetical <laughs> oh, I like now that. we're ever expanding I don't put the subject at the beginning of the sentence very often yeah yeah I don't do that yeah. So Caleb and Bridger here, reading. Well, we read. No, no, no. Just okay. reading, so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And because and's better than but. Totally. Sometimes. Yep. Most of the time. And we would love, we love it, it if, you if you did read along. Yes. So that you could become a part of the we. Oh, what a good invite! Yeah. Yeah. We do have nice. a lot of listeners who are becoming part of the we. I do like that. Sending articles, asking questions. Does any part of this project feel like a like a loft into the void of uncertainty? Like you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a way to start off the episode. I mean <laughs> I <laughs> question <it> you? <laughs> The void of research or the of void uncertainty of, of like, is, is anyone going to listen to this? Oh. I mean, I, I personally, I know you do too, have conversations with people who do. Yeah. And we read numbers of people, like statistics mm-hmm. of listeners. But it still feels like sometimes I love the conversation so much that I lose focus on it. Mm. But I also wonder if it is coming through okay. I hope it is. Yeah. And if not, maybe a brave soul will tell us. Yeah. From a subjective standpoint. But it's hard to follow. Yeah. For us, though, it feels like we're just, we're having a good old time. Yeah. Engage in research the way research should be engaged. Amen. With laughter. Play. Play. Maybe some tears every now and then. Yeah. Feel like we're on the edge. Both from laughter and from genuine grief. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. yeah. Loss. Welcome to the journey. Here we are. Speaking of journeys. We've got one for you today. The man- band and... <laughs> Uh, what we're on collectively as a the, human the race. Verb. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a part of a journey that's starting here oh, at this Beyond is, I like this. that is developing and will be kind of a new charted territory for 2023. Do you want to give the listeners their first? This is the first of the recorded podcast under our media production mm-hmm. that will mention mentioning this. this on. Yeah. Yeah. But it is happening. Yes. Had the meeting today. Yeah, so in 2023, we are revamping. And I guess we're vamping? Yeah, this is like original OG vamp. This is first vamp. First vamp. First First vamp of what we're calling Think Beyond. Think Beyond. Which is a media space where, because of beautiful listeners that are listening to us and our other podcasts that we have, which is shaping us. Which is shaping us, yes. The podcasts. We have uh, realized that this thing can't go on. Just us doing what we do. Um, reading the articles we read. Talking about EMDR and being in therapy and all of these other podcasts we have. We can't do it without some support. Yep. So our solution to that was to not only just create... A, a branch of beyond that is or, organized and oriented towards creating content. Mm-hmm. Which we tried for a couple of years. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also creating another community that is a part of Think Beyond that's really oriented towards, and this is to me what I'm most passionate about, is finding ways to connect like topics that we're talking about here with dense scientific language finding where that is also being talked about in art in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, so Think Beyond is this media house um, mm-hmm. that will be run by us and a couple of the people that mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners are already aware of. 
Jim, Melissa, Ryan, but then also Tyler. Who you may not know yes. by face yet. Yeah. But um, you know his work. You know his work. His work, his fingerprints are here. Yes. Um, I'm really excited about that part as well. I'm yeah. coming into more yeah. connection. Yeah. So that what that will entail is us revamping our Patreon. To become, um, and really all of it, to become listener-funded. Yeah, listener-funded. So we get a lot of questions of how to support this these podcasts, how to support us, because um, we are also therapists, and we have day jobs, and we do this kind of on the side, and um, sometimes that inhibits how often we can produce or publish and different yeah. things. Um, so if you've ever wondered or wanted to, support patreon will now be in 2023 the place to do that with any sort of money number you want to slap on your donations um as well as um it will be a little bit of a shift away from what we've advertised patreon in the past which is more of a space for resources we're going to take those very clinical resources and put them in different places yeah put them into the beyond healing community yeah which is a space that we have four therapists and healers from around the world to talk mainly about that, mm-hmm. about healing and about working with clients. And it's kind of what I think a lot of us here think about when it's like mm-hmm. clinical resources, yeah. you know, like scripts and protocols, but also recommendations, books, yep. uh, different podcasts that are helpful for clients and therapists to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking those out of the Patreon space and putting them into the Beyond Healing community yeah. so that the Patreon can be about connection in life around these things in creation yeah like we were just talking as a team this morning of you know there's such a big part of us as a team where we are very clinical we are very professional that's a that's a big part of our lives but then we're all also very interested in how do we express ourselves in creative avenues yeah i mean we've talked about you and i music through the podcast intros um, Tyler loves movies and we love, all three of us love processing. Like how do movies actually communicate these very dense scientific or, um, ideological or philosophical, philosophical ideas mm-hmm. to people and they don't know it, but they're, they're being, um, immersed and immersed yeah. by these like beautiful ideas through film and art and music. And, yeah. um, I love the idea of think beyond the patreon but then also the discord which will be kind of another chat space for just more creative art expression where the clinical Mm -hmm. hat can maybe come off Mm. and we can enter into conversation about what moves us as humans yes um and for therapists to be human and we're talking about this so i'll just go with it this is actually what the in secret life of walter mitty when sean penn Mm. says spoiler alert but at the very end of the movie, when they when they reconnect, says um, he's a photographer and he's getting ready to take, well, he's looking for a snow leopard in the mountains. And Walter Mitty finds him there and says, uh, the, the snow leopard has come and when are you going to take the picture? And he says, sometimes I don't. Mm. When I like a moment, like me personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. Mm. And that is really like what is there for me as I think about moving think beyond into its own thing is i don't have to just think therapist bridger or academic bridger mm-hmm. would say this but it's like my heart yeah gets to be yeah and i get to just take in and connect and be with yeah 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 and i think like that goes in in multiple communities like the what a beautiful opportunity for therapists to take off their therapist hat and put on their human hat Mm. and express or talk about things from still their perspective. You, you never leave your divorced from it. Your experiences as a therapist, but then to interact with other people who aren't therapists, Mm. which is why we're opening think beyond up to anyone and everyone, because there are millions of people with beautiful ways of expressing the same things we're talking about as therapists, Mm -hmm. just using different mediums and languages. Yes. And for them to have the support of therapists and for therapists to have the support of them and that we could co-create art that is meaningful and changing the world. That sounds amazing. Super amazing. So that's just a little teaser of what's to come. come. Yeah. Um, 
because we were so stoked on it. Super stoked. And we just had that meeting today and it will, we are pursuing nonprofit status with it. Mm. So any donations will be tax write-offs and ways of helping people contribute and be supported by that contribution. Yeah. 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 So keep that in your mind as you move into the new year. Mm. We're just a couple months away from it now. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, to shift gears back into the article that we're yeah. reviewing today. The series we're in. Yeah. Second article in this uh, four-part series by Koziel and colleagues, Koziel Barker, Joyce, and Herin. Um, we talked last episode about these large-scale brain systems, the seven yeah, large-scale brain systems. We finished the systems. first article. Yeah. Gave a little introduction as to the author's intent in shaping how neuropsychology comes to view concepts like attention and executive functioning. Mm. And their kind of path laid out before in that first article was to move away from a module localized conception of the brain to start to see the the brain as a complex system (laughs) made up of many different systems, both small and large, Mm. And that what we call executive functioning, what we call attention, what we call experience or, or perception yeah. are, is an interaction of these systems. Mm-hmm. It's not just one area. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first article. So then the second article, the one we're reviewing today, is called The Small World Organization of Large-Scale Brain Systems and Relationships with Subcortical Structures. So then this is where last uh, episode I remember saying a couple of times, that we were going to talk about the ways these large-scale brain systems talk within themselves mm-hmm. and between each other. Yeah, and there's a lot of metaphors in this article, I love um, which are so helpful. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I imagine just knowing the two of us that we will add some as well. Um, but this is a great way to start explaining even to clients kind of how our minds really work. Because there's that parallel developmental process of physiology and psychology. Mm-hmm. And to talk about either one means you're you know, incorporating ideas and elements from the other. But yeah. we're not often super clear on where that is. So we fall into either, like you were saying earlier, the modular-based description of parts of the brain and mm-hmm. what they do. Allegedly, the (laughs) The hippocampus. Yeah, what they've been recognized historically in neuropsychology to perform the function of, or we talk about these emergent systems that are your state of mind, Mm -hmm. and we don't know what things are contributing to it. So what this series is doing is helping us see that these systems, which emerge from, yes, physiology, uh, are incredibly and intimately interconnected Mm. and contributive to our state of mind and our response to our internal and external environment. Yeah. 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 I I mentioned before we started recording, but just to give the listeners kind of a feel for, they have one major metaphor that they use, but then they say like these one liners throughout this article that are just like kind of summary statements that, I mean, I will want to just launch off on. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like the summary of the article will be kind of like, going through that metaphor, what that means. They they give kind of six principles um, at the end of the article, but then there's like these small one-liners that I really want to yeah. spend some time on because they, they really have an impact for, as therapists, why do we do some of the things that we do? Yeah. And why does it make sense from the standpoint of large-scale brain systems with small world hubs that are interacting with each other, why we're interacting the way we do in therapy? Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, let's just where they dive, start. Dive into it. Yeah, they start with a little bit of review of hey, in the last article, what we talked about was these seven large scale brain systems. Um, they they then kind of give the need from a neuropsychological perspective, which is their kind of uh, area of expertise, why the shift away from. Um, this more focused approach to the brain as localized localization mm-hmm. of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about the, the patterns of functional connectivity between and within the large-scale brain systems helps explain why many neuropsychological tests have poor localization properties. 
characterized by variability in test performances. And what that means is that there's, in, in brain studies, what they're looking at is connecting activity with what they are scanning in the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's immense variability because one, and we'll get into this more in more detail, but one specific part of the brain doesn't just hold all of the information for one specific function. function. Mm -hmm. A function is a conglomeration of many specified or specialized mm -hmm. parts of the brain. Which are experience dependent yes, over time. and that's the important part that they yeah. really lean into towards the end of the article is yeah. this is experience dependent. This is what kind of, to me, helps us understand, and we used this in the first two episodes, that you know, the amygdala as the fear center hmm. is half and half, mm -hmm. you know, yes, the amygdala is involved in fear, but it is not the center of fear in the brain. Mm. It is sort of like the uh, intersection yeah. that is most frequently activated to facilitate the, you know, rounding up of energy and information and potential behavior from all of the systems to say, yeah. here's how we can respond. Yeah. Yeah. I think of um, like a fire alarm is usually the yep. the kind of metaphor that people use. Yep. I think Vander Kolk uses it um, with the amygdala. Yep. And I think that metaphor doesn't need to be thrown away. It just needs to be further nuanced. Yep. Of the amygdala isn't the thing that senses the fear or the thing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. It is the sounding board for yeah. the other systems that are perceiving what could be fear. Yeah, it's the communicator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's recruiting the acti activity. Not yeah, it is the epicenter of fear. Right, right. Um, super important. Which leads then to um, kind of just a the first section beyond just the introduction, uh, introduction is looking at this concept of a small world organization of these large-scale brain systems. And one of the things that I love, they give like an example of kind of how information usually gets processed in the brain just at a broad level. And one of the things they say is information is quote-unquote processed in the localized brain regions necessary for the perception of that information. Because no perception or experience has only one single characteristic, information processing is distributed by activating only those brain regions that are essential for a particular perceptual experience. Mm. They then go on to give an example of, like, think of, imagine a horse. Um, in that imagination activity, you are activating the ventral brain regions that are necessary for identifying an object in your yeah. mind that is a horse. Which, yeah, the first two episodes we talked about, the ventral attention network is what is outside mm -hmm. of you. And so you're getting information from that system when you are asked to recall a horse, but you are not actually seeing one in real life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's by the same systems that you originally experience whatever template you have for a horse that you will be given the image interpsychically of a horse. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go on to say, okay, now imagine a black or a white horse. Yeah. And and notice that neurobiologically, the black or the white wouldn't be within the same region or localized brain uh, section as what you use to identify the object of a horse. Mm -hmm. In that moment, you would have to recruit another brain region that can sense and identify color mm -hmm. and then integrate that into your imaginal experience of a black or a white horse. Yeah. And I love that they're like just from the start, they're giving such an easy example to tap into of what I would I say with a lot of clients is it really doesn't matter what we're talking about it really matters how much of you is present. Mm -hmm. It's just as important to, if we're talking about a horse, how detailed is the image? Because that tells us how many parts of you are contributing to what we're processing. We could just talk about a horse, which is just the outline of a specific object, or we could talk about, you know, a horse that looks this way and that way and mm -hmm. feels this way and sounds this way and is doing this movement. And yeah, that then is an integrated processing. Yeah, um, of a very complex recall yeah. scenario. Yes. Wherein they then talk about how 
and you mentioned the fire alarm of the amygdala, the hippocampus, of recognizing the centralized role of that specific brain part mm. to memory. Mm. But it's not to say that all of those memories that you just talked about came from the hippocampus. Yeah, It's that the hippocampus is the primary recruiter of all of these different brain regions to put together this image. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about, uh, which is, you know, call back to episodes that we've talked about with um, like all, all you are is memory, the yeah. Bruce Perry article. Memories of fear. Yeah. yeah. They talk, uh, they say a phrase that says information is stored or retained in the same regions or circuits where the information was initially processed to begin with. Mm-hmm. That just like, again, goes to me, it connects with so many ideas that we've already explored in, yeah. in the podcast with memories of fear, but also memory reconsolidation and the necessity for re-evoking mm-hmm. the different parts that it's We're going to change it. Yeah. Yeah. And that idea that really gets into those brain regions. Like that's why it's essential that it's actually evoked mm-hmm. because it, without it, it's perhaps a less uh, integrated mind that yeah. is recalling. Yeah. Yeah. If we, uh, I will talk to clients about membering and remembering. Yeah. And in order to remember, we had to member first. Yeah. And then in the remembering and shifting our memory, we have to, remembering isn't just like some abstract concept of I'm thinking about something. No, remembering is this activation of the brain and body. Yeah. And this complex interplay of re-evoking where and how our bodies process the information when they process them. Yeah. From there, then we can come back to the present and shift it. Mm. Um, but to know that these large-scale brain structures are organized by these small world systems that are holding information and willing to offer up to be changed mm-hmm. and then to come back. Yeah. So these systems have lines of communication within and then lines of communication between. This is like the intercom of a building versus like the phone call between buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it starts this section with talking about how economical mm-hmm. the brain is, which is using analogy to describe brain function. But again, pointing to uh, something that we've evoked in trainings that we do. Um, then we did our SIP1 training here just very recently where Damasio came up mm-hmm. to say that Humans at the neurophysiological level are extremely lazy and hyper conservative. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be open to a ton of complexity. And in that, we're going to process things as efficiently as possible, not mm. adding in more energy just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. So in the horse analogy, if I just say recall a horse, I would imagine that it's a, it's a static image. Mm. It's not a running horse. Mm. Or it's not a horse that has, you know, multiple um, things on it or uh, a person on it yet or Mm -hmm. that you can hear the horse running. It's imagine a horse. Okay, I see like basically the equivalent of like a grade school card that has an animated horse on it. It says like horse. This is a horse. That's likely some of the first images that come to mind until I start to add in verbal cues to increase the complexity of the image. Yeah, That's an example of how on first awareness of stimuli, we are going to respond to it as efficiently as possible, mm-hmm. not adding in all of this. Okay, hold on. When you say horse, I think of all of this complex imagery and yes. imagination and memory, not on first run mm-hmm. until yeah. maybe you're really interested in them. And then your brain has an internal cue for, I want to increase the complexity. Yeah. I'm thinking about all of my horses or all of the horses that yeah. I've been around in my life because I love them or I'm afraid of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. Yeah. The image becomes more complex. Yeah, my my brain goes to what it's like to be a child that sees like a giant dog. <laughs> it's like that's a horse to them. <laughs> yeah, they're giant. They're massive. They're shaped very similar until they come to realize the interaction patterns are different. Yeah, sensory experiences are different, and then we're getting what the authors then talk about is functional specialization and functional connectivity yeah so this is three (laughs) yeah three concepts that they they go in to further specify is that these large-scale brain systems 
um, your auditory visual, your dorsal and ventral attention networks, your default functioning mode, your sensory motor, all of these um, large-scale brain systems, they have these small systems within them, smaller hubs. And these hubs have functional connectivity. So there's hubs, functional specialization, and functional connectivity and integration. So these hubs, think of them as like small teams. Mm-hmm. Within these small teams, there's specialization. How advanced are these teams? Mm-hmm. You can't, health isn't just specialization. Special, uh, health is not only the specialization of these hubs, but then the connectivity and integration within mm. these hubs and between the hubs and large-scale brain systems. Yeah. So that may sound like a lot to Wrap listeners. your mind around. Yeah. yeah. But they give such a beautiful metaphor. Do you just want to read it? Or... I, would, I would be open to that. Yeah. I'd be down. Okay. Um, where do you want to start? We can uh, just... I'll start from the very beginning. Like imagine working on a project? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. We can maybe talk about it. I don't know. All credit to Koziel at all. Absolutely. I'm just going to read it as it is. Yes. Okay. Imagine working on a project such as developing a new neuropsychological testing package for computerized administration. Imagine this project being managed by a core group of individuals. In aggregate, there is a clickishness about the group. They work together. They're a hub. However, they each have their own area of functional specialization. One member of this clique might have special expertise in functional neuroanatomy. Another member might have expertise in test construction. Another member might have expertise in statistics. And another member has expertise in research. Together, as a group, they have solved the specialized problem of developing a test battery. However, both individually and as a group, They have limited knowledge in computer science and programming. One or two of them has adequate business knowledge for marketing purposes. As it turns out, one person in the clique knows an individual in another city who has expertise in computer programming, and that person has access to a small specialized team of experts who are willing to take on the job of programming the new test battery. This establishes a functional connection with another hub. The Sorry. The statistician in the hub knows others in a relatively nearby city with expertise in website design for business and marketing purposes. This establishes yet another functionally connected hub. Information is shared. They decide to meet to work out all the details. And in this process, they have established a functionally integrated network. As each hub interacts with another, changes and adjustments are made in the test battery. A business plan is established and implemented, and this process resembles the rapid updating of functional connectivity according to the demands of the original task. Therefore, the core group started out as a cliquish hub, functioning as a closely, densely packed network composed of each individual's separate but related skills, and then established a few distal or longer-range connections with other hubs, as was necessary, dependent upon the demands of our task. This example illustrates the small world organization that characterizes the relationships within and between large-scale brain systems. I love, like, I don't, I don't know about you, and I don't know about listeners, but like, I have such a wealth of em- embodied kind of wisdom or understanding around, or experience, not wisdom, experience around like groups in leadership settings and uh-huh. like in businesses and yeah you know i've worked for several organizations and like there's so many times where you have that you have that dream and there's a there's a core team that say like we want to get here we want to develop this new test yeah and you start and you there's this excitement but then there's not connectivity uh. with the other parts of the organization so then the dream quickly fades mm. Or there are there is connection, but then as problems arise and develop, the whole organization then loses the original target. And so then it just pitter-patters out and we yeah. don't reach the original goal. We may get somewhere else, mm-hmm. but there's no connection to the passion that started it. Yeah. And I feel like this, like taking that embodied experience and putting it into my own, like, that's how my brain works. Right. 
that's crazy. Yeah. Like a healthy organization. <laughs> millisecond by millisecond. Yeah, yeah, a healthy organization out here in the world. And like all the books we have on leadership and organizational psychology yeah. and all that is like so similar to my brain. Trying to tell the story of an integrated mind. Yeah. That these teams in their specialization can't try to do each other's job. Yeah. But they just have to do their job, but be open to connecting and collaborating with other teams. Trust. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the the ease at which, and to me this like just makes so much sense as to why parts work or ego state or IFS, internal family systems, um, is such a linguistic um popular idea right now. Yeah. And because it connects to us. I was us. gonna say it's intuitive. Yes. Yeah. Like oh yeah, you have parts and some of them are bearing the weight of others that they're not specialized to bear that weight. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get a different that product. Like tension. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to develop a neuropsychological test. You're mm-hmm. going to develop like a how not to get to your end goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a book of what not to do. Yeah. 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 It's going to be very different. I don't know. What's, when you read it, what's your, what's your response? I mean, like, I just think of my own organization of mind as I've learned to reflect on it, wherein I have the boardroom. Mm. I think I've shared about this oh, with yeah. you before that for me, it I, I have had so much trouble in you know my teenage years and before that really making sense of how is it that I feel all the different ways that I feel mm. and feel like I'm so different in some spaces and some spaces don't feel like I'm able to be my full self or mm. you know I, I don't like who I am in this space or when I'm with this person. Um, and the image of a boardroom came to me where, you know, the boardroom is a organization of leaders from the respective organization that all come in representation of their sub teams. Yeah. And the floor of the business. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're there to communicate with the other leaders who are representing their, you know, respective Mm -hmm. Uh, teams and the boardroom is where all of these systems meet to talk about the core mission and vision of that you know larger business Mm -hmm. that the board runs together and that was the best way for me to conceptualize it because it was like well yeah all of those board members are going to feel very differently Mm -hmm. about the topic of discussion and they're going to have different memory and different awareness of what their organization specifically may be dealing with right now yeah and to go to the table with all these other parts that are saying well this needs to happen yeah well i you know i can't or no that sounds good and i'm prepared for that and we've been you know working on that so it really does just lend itself well to how i even have worked to understand myself yeah yeah i feel like with listeners that the the opportunity for play around Mm -hmm. such creativity scientific concepts is so ripe yeah like my brain goes to we've already played with this mm-hmm. for two episodes yeah. with the tale of three selves yes. that was our way of talking about basically three broad parts yeah. of a self that are engaged in receiving and processing and producing energy and information yeah and that the health and wellness of the ship is dependent upon the not only the learning and specialization of these three parts but then how they're connecting and working together they have to and where there's problems it's because of the relationship between the three yeah yeah they they say kind of at the end of that section if all hubs function efficiently the demands of the task are successfully met meaning that the brain adapts or um, accommodates and assimilates to use piaget's language um to the experience that they're having so you learn you respond in a way that is um, regulated and receiving of the Mm. information and energy that is there but if one of the hubs these like small teams of specialized function functions less efficiently slowly or fails to promptly communicate with the other hubs we are now mimicking variability and test performances this is where you you know, it, it, we could in neuropsycho, n- neuropsychological testing say that, oh, it's the fault of the amygdala. 
But what if it's a fault of a sensory perception that isn't communicating to the amygdala to sound the alarm yeah. in, in that way? Like we see that all the time with traumatology and, and that field of research is that like people who have experienced chronic or really intense traumas, mm-hmm. overwhelming experiences, um, prolonged, then their ability to sense and perceive threatening stimuli is either hyperactive or hypoactive. Mm-hmm. And that's not maybe the fault of the amygdala, although the amygdala is on brain scans the is the one that's yeah. lower in activity. I have an embodied uh, example of this just from this last weekend. I had some trouble traveling, as you know. I'm yes. not going to tell Classic. the whole story here. doesn't matter. But You can if you need. No, you I will need not. to blow some no. rage off. No, no. Uh, <laughs> just not going to travel ever again. Okay. No, just <laughs> um, There's so, the fear circuit. Yeah, exactly. But um, we were on the runway and all geared up to go and started to take off and had to abort the takeoff. And the plane, you know, we, we got off, we were taxied off of the runway and the pilot came on the intercom and said, um, everything looked fine, but then a light went off. And so like on our dashboard, and so we're just kind of waiting to hear back from maintenance about what this is. Everything appears to be functioning, functioning normally, but we do have to sort out what this light is. Um, so we got to get on the phone and it was another 20 or 30 minutes before they said, well, we're going to have to go back to the gate and do some more testing. We hope to be able to get back out here as soon as we can. And what was so fascinating is that once we got back to the gate, they did all the testing and they said it was a faulty sensor. But because of the nature of, you know, needing to still have that sensor, we had to change planes. But I feel like that's such a great example of everything was functioning normally, mm. but the indicator was the one that was actually mm. malfunctioning, mm. not the respective parts themselves. Mm. But because of the nature of the plane and FDA regulations and whatever, uh, or sorry, FA, FFA, F. what's the... FAA? It's not Future Farmers of America. <laughs> no, and it's not the Food and Drug Administration. What is it? FAA. Federal, 80, Federal, Federal Airline Association. That's what it is. Yes. FAA. Yes, those regulations. Um, they had to deplane and get a new plane. But I think that's such a great example of yeah. maybe it's not the amygdala, mm. even though that's the one pinging yes. problem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they then also take the positive spin Mm. so that's when you know maybe things aren't working well but they they give way or they um, illuminate um, what the field of memory reconsolidation or what and i mentioned the language from piaget this accommodation and assimilation Mm -hmm. process which um, they continue the metaphor and say after the test package is up and running for a period of time Perhaps the team discovers a few quote-unquote bugs in the system that they would like to update. The core group can now again contact the same hubs, and that's important. We're re-evoking mm-hmm. the same systems that were originally processing the information and recruit them for updating and expansion and perhaps even contact a new group of people or another hub to develop a computer printout to assist in analyzing and interpreting the clinical data. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, we're talking about what happens when it goes right, what happens when it goes wrong, the fun- functional connectivity between these hubs within these large-scale brain systems mm. that then function all together. And then we're also talking about, they also go on to talk about what happens when we're updating. Mm-hmm. We have to re-evoke the, hu- the hubs for processing the information and then reprocess the data. Yes. And I think in clinical experiences, we're used to language being the evocative like cue yeah so when i say you know go back to the horse when i say horse i'm assuming that you think of the horse that i'm talking about Mm -hmm. but then sometimes in therapy we need to call on some other hubs because when i say horse it doesn't feel like we're talking about the same thing Mm -hmm. and so then i have to start as a therapist being curious about like hey, when I say horse, what comes up? And then you tell me, and then I say, okay, what if we, what if we thought about like a, a white horse or a black horse? Mm. How, what does that then bring up? And it's like, oh, that changes things. Mm. Okay, now we're engaging different hubs mm-hmm. of specialized information. Now therapy takes on a different flavor. Yeah, um, totally. But I love that idea that 
in order to update, we have to re-evoke. We have to go back to the, those teams that specialize the information to begin with. Mm. Um, well, mm. so that's the first metaphor that they use. I love that. Um, which I feel like we could spin up for many moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to they just to kind of finish this section, they they cite some really compelling research, which if you're interested to go learn more um Cole and colleagues. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you yeah. went to look at that one. Yeah. But this is a really interesting study where they applied this small world organization to large-scale brain systems using functional magnetic resonance imaging. And I went and looked, and they actually correlated this with magnetoencephalography imaging as well, MEG, mm. which the difference in that the fMRI is getting a, a functional connectivity um, but the MEG is getting a timing between energy displacement. Mm. So you can actually observe the sequence of large scale, small world organization mm. um, and not just see the light up on the screen that says, okay, it's this area. Yeah, this is but, functionally yeah. quote unquote on. Right, but you get to see the timing of energy transmission in and between brain systems. So sick. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. At the, <laughs> like, at the end of that section, they, they talk about from those studies and looking specifically at the frontal parietal network, um, frontal parietal network, uh, they talk about, you know, the frontal parietal network is really engaged in brain-wide functional connectivity mm -hmm. and recruiting a wide variety of brain systems. Um, but then at the end of that section, they say that these researchers, Cole et al., um, concluded that the brain reuses flexible hub yeah. connectivity patterns to facilitate the performance of novel tasks. And in that like little zone I wrote, this is why curiosity is so important for therapists. It's important to stay curious about how and what past experiences the client is using to make sense of the present. Mm -hmm. When I say horse, you have a world of experience that you're using mm -hmm. to come up with a re-evocation re re of what I'm saying mm -hmm. in your world, yeah. not mine. Not yours, yeah. And the whole point of communication is can we get closer to a more interconnected understanding of what we mean when we say horse? Yeah. <laughs> and that as a therapist, you know, to me, it it's so easy to take language for granted mm. to say when I say this. I think it's you, something that humans do just naturally. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like the language is, I used to say, I still, I guess I still say it, but like language is imperfect, but it's the best thing we have. Yeah. Like um, it, it's not a one-to-one -one mm -hmm. transfer of what's mm -hmm. in my brain or in my intrapsychic world to yours. Yeah. There's mediation of interpretation and perception. Yeah, which are in that organism's best interest based on their lived experience. Mm -hmm. I think a really clear example is when, as therapists, I think we all have this experience where you're bringing up something that either doesn't connect or perhaps even activates mm -hmm. the client in a way that you did not intend. Mm. What an incredible example of oh, I don't understand like the words I'm using or the way I'm saying it, the tone of voice, something is cueing a different series of recollection or remembering in that person's system that now sends them down a different plot line than mm -hmm. I had in mind entirely. Yeah. Like I was misunderstood yeah. or triggered or activated. Yes. Those are kind of prime examples of what's going on in my system is different than is what, what is going on yeah. in yours. Yeah. And we spend so so much time like providing safety for mm -hmm. the exploration of what's going into that moment. Yeah. Of oh, okay, this isn't right or wrong, good or bad, but mm -hmm. what did I evoke in you and your past experience that created some sort of disconnection? Mm -hmm. And here's what I was evoking in me. Yeah. Now, now we can collaborate. And like, this is. Um, I want to get to another part in this moment, but we'll come back to it of like that separation and reconnection mm. is like littered everywhere. Like yeah. you think of attachment theory, like rupture repair. You think of working out, tearing muscles so that they come back stronger. Like mm -hmm. 
Well, there's so many different metaphors for yeah. the separation. The process of and growing in anything. <laughs> like, yeah. You've got to keep trying and yes. reintegrate what you learned in the trying. Yeah. And that comes from us braving or courageously speaking yeah. to re-evoke each other's pasts and then to sit with an understanding of what did I just re-evoke? Yes. What came up? Trusting that, and these words don't communicate effectively, <laughs> but trusting that that is the way their brain works. Like you're not that's trying to... That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Like you're not trying to put them through something weird. And if no. it's coming across as like, I don't know what's going on, that's communication that, oh, this process of recall, reconsideration, and reimplementation is activating. That's interesting. Yeah. What's going on in that space? And what has it meant to you before? Mm. Has trying something new resulted in negative appraisal from caregivers? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Does social bullying fit into this? Like what is what is charging mm. the space between us right now yeah. from your lived experience? And can yeah. we find a safe enough language to use to explore it? Yeah. I love, and I just want to say it again just for myself, but the words you used of recall, reconsider, and re-implement. Yeah. Recalling, reconsidering, re-implementing. Yeah. That, I love that. Yeah. We're always doing that. Always doing that. And it's just a, a forever loop. Yeah. I love, this reminds me of what you said last week around um, every movement forward is a movement back as mm. well. Like That's right. You don't move into the future without going through the past first. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, so many good things. Yeah. So from that kind of metaphor and then the connection to how the brain is reusing these flexible hubs of connectivity within and between these large-scale brain mm. systems um, and using that metaphor around um, designing a product and marketing it and selling it um, as kind of the metaphor for that. They then go on to give a little section around just how these large-scale brain systems develop. This was my favorite section. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I wondered. <laughs> you did? Yes. I, I literally like was underlining things. I'm like, there was a moment when we were writing SIP2 where I think we would have like ran out the door Backflips. reading this like because we i mean we dove into like trevarthan stuff chronic yeah. stuff yeah like deep, deep neurophysiological studies of in utero and infancy development of having the brain. debates with references about when processes emerge and succeed yeah. one another development versus specialization <laughs> that whole process and the Which, section on the development of these large-scale brain systems is really they're they're giving really succinct language to the development and specialization of these systems. Yeah. Um, so then what, where are they, and I don't want to take, if this section no, no, is, go is for what it. got you jacked, I don't Well, I'm just going to like read the whole thing. No, like, <laughs> I can't say it any Buckle better. Up. It was Buckle great. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just say. It's the, only two paragraphs. The, <laughs> <laughs> two like Meaty 20 paragraphs. sentence paragraphs. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to say is um, they make a note that it's a highly selective and restrictive kind of um, explanation of these the development. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say like it's super succinct, which is helpful, but also in that way limited in some of the nuances. But mm -hmm. they start with uh, identifying that the functional connectivity of large scale brain systems can be observed from the gestational age of 20 weeks onward through the application of non-invasive non-invasive resting state fMRI investigations. Um, this early observed functional connectivity is quite remarkable and generates the foundation for each large-scale brain network to be established. So thinking of... This is like Bruce Perry's neurosequential developmental model. Like, so articulate. Yes, yeah. And beautiful. Yes. And when we're recalling traumatic experience or early emotional experience why it's so important and clearly valuable to that system, uh, though that person may not have conscious awareness of why. Mm, mm -hmm. Like if we're exploring attachment patterns, for instance, like this is why, like the foundation of the connectivity of small world organizational systems that then contribute to large scale brain systems is shaped by that experience with that caregiver. Yeah. yeah. So the whole soup 
changes yeah. for that person. You can't just then say that person who is now 35 is an anxious person. Like, I mean, that is a horribly reduced characterization of what now looks like anxiety because of the energy and connectivity behavior it was used to facilitate yeah. so early on. Yes. The functional connectivity and integration. Yes. The, the behaviors that came from it, yeah. all of that, then the appraisal of the caregiver back onto it mm -hmm. is shaping the connectivity within those small world organizations and their their contributions to the large-scale brain yeah. systems. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and they say, like, as a general rule, notable fine-tuning and specialization occurs in regions necessary for the support of higher-order cognitive functions by childhood. So at this super early age where these functional hubs are getting not only developed but also specialized you can think of like i mean even like the complex motor sensory motor movements of like bending a finger yeah or connecting a, a thumb and a finger together yeah now we have connectivity of a, of a dynamic yeah. movement like that though the specialization specialization of that gets used later on for concepts like trying to grasp an idea yeah trying to make sense of my world yeah trying to wrap find my mind around or it. grab yeah yeah something that makes me feel better i'm not getting it yeah i'm not getting it yeah, yeah like it's so fascinating that we take we take the brilliant complexity of ourselves for granted oh that's why i say i say that so often in therapy with people like you're absolutely amazing like just for waking up today the things that had to happen metabolically you know yes. <laughs> autonomically yeah all of your various nervous systems corresponding to bring about consciousness mm. that is so something that just spins me up yes why is consciousness an emergent property of human physiology mm. there's mm. no reason for it it's just proteins synthesizing across blood-brain barriers. Like, there's no reason that consciousness should come. But it does. But it's so through consistently does functional connectivity and integration of biology that gives way to a very complex psychology. <laughs> That's crazy. I, yeah. I literally laughed out loud when I read it on <laughs> on page uh, two forty-eight on the right side. There it says. Um, it has been known for quite some time that all sensory and motor systems are organized in parallel. <laughs> it's just so flippant. And like the words are so like, like, yeah, but yeah, like, cool. I think the way that you learn to orient to your environment is developed in parallel to the way you learn to act in your environment. And then there's a, it's a parallel complex relationship always out and in people out. are fine with this like <laughs> people are just chill like, we're just saying that? like they just said it's been known for quite some time that all sensory and motor <laughs> systems are organized in parallel two references 1987 lol though. lol yeah sure <laughs> like it's just so crazy to me yeah yeah they then go on to talk about how in late childhood into adolescence this hub architecture was evident um, so we're now not only talking about, you know, getting some solidification of development of these large-scale brain systems and these small hubs, but then further increasing the specialization. Um, and this, the conclusion was offered by different um, researchers that stable function of hub architecture is foundational for information flow in the brain, um, meaning that... Inf information coming into the brain is health and wellness of the system is dependent upon the stable hub architecture integration mm. so that there these hubs are interacting as well as going deeper and specializing they then talk about to me the final like two sentences they say oh hold on if you're oh, gonna go, go there i want to yeah. go one more before yeah. that um oh where was this are you going to talk about the cerebellar hubs? Yes. That's it. Do you know where it is? Uh, it's just after the... So in addition... 
I'll just read it. Yeah. In addition, the increased connections between cerebellar hubs and the cortex highlight the role of the cerebellum in the bottom-up support for development of mature cognition. Two general summary conclusions can also be made. First, both children and adults demonstrate a robust, structurally rich hub organization. These hubs become highly integrated within the brain's major networks. Second, functional connectivity increases over time, but with a high level of segregation between large-scale brain systems. The language is just so sick. It's so sick. It's so sick. Yeah. Good so, for you guys. Like, <laughs> like you, so you found it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I. To me, like, I got so jacked on that second point. The functional connectivity increases over time. But with a high level of but segregation. With a high level of segregation. Like specialization is segregation in the yeah. brain. Like Yeah, yeah. Like I can't articulate this enough, I feel like, <laughs> in ways that make the sense that I want it to I make. I know, I hate that so but, much. <laughs> like for therapy or just for under, human understanding and care for one another. Like the <laughs> idea that we will we will mimic what our muscles need to be strong which is we need to rip them apart and zoom in mm-hmm. to then come come back out and reconnect. Mm-hmm. So like in therapy, there's often this feeling of like, you know, you start with like a high, a high order concept, something yeah. like a horse. Mm-hmm. But then I have to, at some point, we realize that we're talking about different horses. Yeah. So then I have to zoom into the part and almost deconstruct the horse. Yeah. To zoom in to like the part that we're misunderstanding each other on. Yeah. I'm talking about a horse. You're talking about a great Dane. Because mm-hmm. in your world, those were the same thing. So then we have to look at the specific parts of that concept. We have to tear the thing yeah. apart to then zoom back out and bring it together. Mm-hmm. And that integration, not only the integration, but also the necessary, the necessary segregation yep we have to differentiate different and then like that's i i feel like even as i'm saying it it's not coming out the way i want it no i like, am right there with you like to then also realize the specialization in that segregation which is those are both mammals though and they both have fur yeah and they both have or no hair and like yeah they they are incredibly similar mm-hmm. and yet totally different yes yeah, like that's the, crazy. The expansion of consciousness in that process of segregating or or differentiating to then come back and link that like looping process. That's amazing, and like inappropriate. That's, <laughs> it's inappropriate. That we know that about like, ourselves. That like that's just inappropriately <laughs> sick. How much like integration that involves? Yes. It's seriously, it's so crazy. Yeah. For those listening, like we high five after we end the show <laughs> and it's just amazing. Like that's why, like yep. that type of connection. Um, do we, I don't know if we have time to go into the, do you want to try to go through the six principles? Um, or do you want to end on this section? Cause I, we didn't get to the Menon and Rubia. Let's, let's end it here. I love that. And, Cause Release I think what pressure. I want, I want listeners to really sit with, the metaphor of small world organization of a large world through like teams Mm. and to see that like the way industrial organization of like culture and business is seeking to mimic the way our brains function on a healthy way yeah Um, we would call that social neuron theory um lewis casalino talks about that a lot but um I, I want listeners to sit with that yeah. and to wrestle with not only what that means for themselves, but what that means with their interaction with clients, with other humans. Yeah. Um, and, and imagine your own embodied, you know, example. Yes. Of like, you, you want to start a fundraiser for something that you're passionate about. How are yeah. you going to do it? Yeah. Well, you'd have to start talking about organizing a team and then who's going to handle check-ins or registration mm-hmm. or like find your own version because that is a way in to the connectivity within your system and the uh, connectivity of the client system that you're sitting with. It reminds me of an Alan Watts quote. 
Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we're really just jumping around <laughs> just here. Jumping I around. love it. I said, you know, what does your what does your brain look like to your eyes? It looks like what you see in the world. Mm. And he says it with an amazing candor. Of course. And cadence, of course. You know, of course. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> it looks like. Uh, but that that image of what you see around you and how you make sense of the relationships that you see around you. It is both your reality externally and internally. Mm. What you see out in the world perhaps could be more representative of what's inside you than what is actually outside you. Oh, that's that's good. That's tough, though. It's incredibly hard. Very tough. Because it feels like the world is the way that it is. Which it always is. And it is. It always is. <laughs> yeah. that's I love, we evoked it earlier, but like... The and is better than the but. Yeah. It is the and. The world is real in the way that you perceive it. Mm -hmm. And the world is also real because of the way you are. Are perceiving. (laughs) And yeah, the way that you are. Yeah. Yeah. That Alan Watts quote, man. Yeah. I think. What does your brain look like to your eyes? It looks like the world you see around you. Yeah. I love, um, I was reading a chapter from, um, I forget who writes it, but it's called, um, Oh, what is it called? Sensu- uh, sensuous. Oh, anyway, they were talking, they were quoting Merleau-Ponty's work. Oh. And how <laughs> Merleau-Ponty <laughs> talks about um, every sort of like perception is also like your writing. So every time you read, you write as well. Or every time you, you uh, experience something, you're also producing something. Mm. And that your interaction with the world is so reciprocally conditioned yeah. that slowing down and sitting with w- what parts of me are coming into the space to make sense of the world mm-hmm. is so important. And I think in therapy, that like that moment where you can feel it get into that curious space of, of recollecting, but then... What was the second one? Re, um, uh, considering. Reconsidering. Yeah. Oh, that like. Yeah. Because then you get to like you get to see like, holy crap! The business team knows nothing about IT. Yeah. They know nothing. Why are we trying to force the business team to do IT as well? Yeah. When we have neurobiological structures that know what it's like to do IT. We must be communal. Yeah. We have to be. Mm. I just have to read because it it was important to me when I read it. Heck yeah. Um, it takes so us back it, to the article just a second, but it does give a nice send-off um, with some spice. There is an inherent vulnerability in brain development because numerous events can generate anomalies in both structural and functional brain organization. Put very bluntly, the developing brain is not nearly as plastic as perhaps once believed. This is the reverence <laughs> that I try and help my clients see. Yeah. And I love, again, I love the and dynamic of that because your brain is plastic. But then I feel like something that we've been wrestling with at Beyond, but also helping other people wrestle with is like, it's not a bad thing that your personality is a combination of all of your life experiences. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. It's real. Yeah. And what you experience matters. Yeah. And I mean, it just translates so meaningfully and I hope that it's so apparent in in the listeners how much meaning there is for this in therapy. Mm. You know, when you're sitting with somebody who has struggled with suicidality for years, you know, that's just a, a totally human space that can be so hard to change. You know, it's a, it's a perfect example of that system struggling in isolation. And I'm going to quit the project. Like, I can't do it yeah. on my own. And I don't believe there are things that I don't believe in the interconnection between hubs. I am alone. Mm. Project must fail. And those types of interactions can feel so far away 
even though we're sitting not four feet from each other. Mm -hmm. Like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Where have you gone? Yeah. And the, to me, I feel the, the farness speaks of um, the few. Mm. Like, this space quality also relates to like, like few of them or few of me is present. Yeah. So yeah. then it feels far. Yeah. Less representation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Man, I knew this article was gonna get us <laughs> somewhere good, but man, it always gets us to a better spot than I imagined. <laughs> That's because there's two of us now. That's because there's two of us and we're sharing some functional connectivity and specialization of our own experience and sharing it. Making a new one. Oh, listeners, please join into this process. Yeah, get baby. in on the moi. Yeah. The moi. The moi. Cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for listening. See you back for part two where we will talk about the, the six, six principles. principles of developing large-scale brain systems. More to me, that section has some juicy practical elements to yeah. therapy. So maybe we can spin up into some application in that next episode. We'll spin spin and win. Spin and spin and win. <laughs> win and spin. Cool. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast.